I have been thinking so much about this gospel passage in my daily life the past week or so. I think of Mary and this extravagance, this pouring of perfume all over Jesus' feet and the wiping of His feet with her hair. And you may think I've been reflecting on it as an act of devotion and inspiring that way, but to be honest, I've been thinking of it more like a Saturday Night Live skit <laughs> or a page taken out of my own graceless life, and I mean that being not graceful. You see, I am one of those people who cannot move a sprinkler around the yard without getting as wet as the plants. I also cannot vacuum without getting somehow tangled in the cord. And you'd think I'd learn by this ripe age of <clears throat> 54 not to carry all of the things at once to save a trip, because invariably I drop something that usually requires cleanup and I end up taking far longer than if I'd just made two trips. I see some of you nodding. You understand this. So while my husband Don has been out of town the last couple of weeks, I've been in charge of watering and soaking myself in the process. And I've had this running image of Mary what if she only meant to sprinkle Jesus' feet? <laughs> what if she really only meant to dip her finger in the perfume and anoint Jesus as we do with chrism oil at baptism? What if poor Mary, like yours truly, was just a bit of a klutz and accidentally dumped all of the expensive perfume out at once and in a panic, searching for something to mop it up, only had her hair. No, that's not the story. That's the version that has made me chuckle as I've soaked myself with a sprinkler and it's made me feel better about my own clumsiness but there is much to support that Mary knew exactly what she was doing. There are versions of this anointing story in all four Gospels. In Matthew and Mark, it occurs while Jesus is in the house of Simon the leper, and all of the disciples, not just Judas, judge the unnamed woman for wasting the alabaster jar of very costly ointment that could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Jesus tells them that she will be remembered for this gift of preparing him for burial, and the poor will always be with them. In Luke, another unnamed woman, a sinner, barges into a dinner party at the home of Simon the Pharisee to pour ointment on Jesus' feet. And she bathes his feet not just with the ointment, but with her tears and her kisses and wipes his feet with her hair. 
There is no one in that story in Luke that protests that it is wasteful or could be sold for the poor. In Luke, the only protest is that she is a sinner, and surely if Jesus knew that, he would not allow her to touch him. It's a story in Luke of devotion and forgiveness and faith. A little sidebar, you never know when these points of trivia might come in handy cocktail party with a lull in the conversation or pub trivia. The woman in Luke who is described as the sinner, this sinful woman whose reputation is known throughout the city, that text is immediately followed by a a group of women who are traveling down the road with Jesus. And among those women, Mary Magdalene is named. And this portrayal of Mary Magdalene as a prostitute does not come from Scripture. It didn't actually emerge until the year 951, when in an Easter sermon, Pope Gregory conflated these texts from Luke and this mention of Mary Magdalene with Mary of Bethany, who we encounter in John's Gospel today. Perhaps popes are not infallible. So falsely, Mary Magdalene has been passed down to us through history as the repentant prostitute or sinner anointing Jesus in Luke's gospel. The most consistent bit of these varying stories, however, is that across all four gospels, this one piece remains true. Jesus is only ever physically anointed by a woman. So why else do we think that Mary isn't just a clumsy spiller of perfume? Abundance is a hallmark of John's gospel. Jesus started his ministry in John in the wedding at Cana, where he turned jars and jars and jars of water into the finest wine. In John 10.10, Jesus tells the disciples in his good shepherd story that he has come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Nothing in John is stingy. Of course Mary was intended to pour the entire pound of costly perfume made of pure nard over Jesus' feet. Can you imagine the smell that filled that house? Imagine the impact for all presence of this sweet smell of anointing and impending death with their all too recent memory of Lazarus' stench of death. Jesus' revivication of Lazarus happened just a chapter ago. And this passage points to that past 
It highlights their present and it prepares them for the future. One commentator states that Lazarus' presence at that table confirms that death does not speak the final word. As Jesus forges the connection between his own anointing and his own burial. And Mary's wiping of Jesus' feet prefigures the time when he will wipe the feet of his own disciples. Abundance, extravagance, lavish service and devotion. These are all sign points of the story and of John. And while this text feels like a bit much, a little bit over the top in the austerity of Lent, it also causes us to pause and think about how uncomfortable we can make others when we overtly express our faith. It may not be the wiping of feet with our hair at a dinner party, I hope not, but it starts with the wearing of a cross of ashes on our foreheads at the start of Lent and a chorus of the A word at the end as we don our spring clothes and go back to wine or chocolate or caffeine or salty language or whatever you have given up for the past 40 days. Abundance, extravagance, lavish service and devotion. Mary didn't accidentally spill anything. She gave all that she had. May we be emboldened to give as we have received, abundantly. And may we truly mean what we say at the dismissal of every service during the season of Lent. Remember the poor.